Boom, so we're live right now. Right oh, now we're on. We've got Chris from Zoe Bowie. How about that? Hi Chris. How's that for a fucking I'll tell intro? you something, uh, I think it's uh, pretty outstanding that uh, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I actually got up and set two alarms to be here by <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you. Well, oh my it's gosh. It's a rare thing that, you know, it's, it's amazing that the uh, city functions during the afternoon as well. Right? Uh, People are out the in the daytime. How do you, you feel know, about the sunlight? Yeah, apparently there's vitamins that are good for you in that <laughs> thing that I, I haven't seen the sun since the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Hence my beautiful spray tan. I like it. Yeah, thanks. Keeps when do you normally, what is your schedule? When you go to bed? When you does know, your head I'll, hit the pillow at night? I'll tell you something, uh, as, as you or may, not, may, or, may or may not know, I'm an entertainer here in Las Vegas. And uh, when, when you choose to do that for a living, you also choose to be something of a, a vampire. Uh, you know, my life for, for 30 years has been waking up around three or four in the afternoon and going to bed around six or seven in the morning. However, there's something that drastically changes your schedule when you have a little child. As I ah. have uh, two years ago, I have a little beautiful baby girl who's now two. And so now she acts as my alarm clock every morning. And so my hours have shifted considerably. And, but you know, because of my shows, there's many times I don't get home till three, four in the morning. And then you just can't go to sleep right away. So I'm still up until around five at least. And she's got me up saying, Daddy, read, read me a book at eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And so I don't sleep much anymore, but that's okay. It's you take worth naps. it. It's worth you it. You take naps. Sure. Was it shock in the beginning, like the, the transition, or did you try to prepare for it before she was born? Well, to be honest, uh, I, I, I don't think I've had to wake up before noon since I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no preparing for that. Okay. But again, like I say, when you see this beautiful little innocent uh, creature in your face saying, Daddy, I want to play. It just it doesn't matter how you feel. You, you're just so eager to get up and uh, share as much time as you can with, with them while they're young and, you know, it's so much fun. And it, it's changed my life, you know, of course, for the better because, you know, this sounds so uh, kind of cliche, but it really does make you reprioritize yeah. your life and what's important. And, and it makes you, you know, certainly for a guy like me, it I don't know if I want to use this world, but it's making me responsible, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, there goes my career. It's overrated. Because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with what I do, which is, uh, again, uh, if you don't know, I have a, kind of a high-energy nightclub concert that I've been doing here in Las Vegas for the past uh, 13 and a half, so, 14 years. It's well, so fun thank to you. watch. No, it's but fun to watch. I've been doing it for many years prior to being here, and, uh, you know, it's, it's so nutty and juvenile. If I grow up, I'm out of business. And so I think even though I'm having to be more responsible, because I have this little two-year-old child, it's made me return to my youth, which is really more my maturity level anyway. <laughs> so it worked out perfectly. Worked out great And your me. favorite. Yes, and uh, you know, I, I mentioned my, my uh, little two-year-old, her name is Ava, hmm. but uh, there would be no Ava if it weren't for meeting my wife yeah. uh, four, a little over four years ago now, and uh, her name is Jennifer, and uh, talk about uh, being the driving force of, of making my life not only better, but uh, I think even more successful and responsible. She's really kind of uh, cleaned my ass up and whipped me into shape and all the good things you're a, a, a good spouse is supposed to do, I suppose. But uh, So between those two ladies in my life now, I, I've never been happier. You know, this is uh, the 25th anniversary of Zoe Bowie. 25th? Wow. Uh, and the 35th anniversary of me performing live for a living because 10 years prior to singing, I was a heavy metal drummer. 
with long hair I could sit on. No, you weren't. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. That was Do we the, have a photo? I think we should insert I, a photo. You can insert the photo right there. Of your long yep. hair. How long was it? I, I could sit Longer on than it. mine? Uh, well, I'll be honest. You could sit on your I hair? Could sit on, I could sit I, I literally pull hair? it around here and tie it in a knot. Seriously. <laughs> now I, I can do that with my this. back hair. <laughs> and my, 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 the air going out of my ears. See, things change when you get to be my age. Dude, that, don't even get me started with the ear hair. Don't even get me started. Oh. And the nose hair? Yeah, it's all You have a challenge it's and you terrible. haven't accepted it. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. She wants to do this crazy challenge. Have you seen this? It's like a nose hair kit you can buy in the store and you do it at home. Oh, I did it and I challenged. It's like okay. wax, right? Wax. You put it in your nose. She wants to. She would. She wants to challenge people to wax your <laughs> nose hair. I mean, are you kidding me right now? You know, I think there's something kind of sexy about it if you I'm have your girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm gonna challenge you and your missus. Well, my. Your wife's well, like hail. I don't know how I've digressed to this already. We're not even five minutes into this, but I'm admitting <laughs> something that I shouldn't. And as my wife finds great pleasure in, as she refers to it, trimming my potatoes. She goes, "You got potatoes in there. You got potatoes in there." Oh, we're so, so, so she, she of her. comes we with this, so this evil you. wand of death. Really? And I just scream like a little ninny. And yeah. But then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I love oh, this. Oh, yeah. Much better. He'll do it. He'll probably do but it. But that's more about that's like that's that's little trimmer thing. Yes, I have no say. Right. Uh, but the trimmer, I can deal with. Really She's talking about it's a trimmer. Wax. Waxing. No. I waxing. Okay. No chance. Whatever. I'm I out. Tried. I tried. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not taking part of that challenge. I will not accept that challenge. Fine. No. <laughs> Fine. That's what it is. Moving forward. How did you come up with the name Zoe Bowie? Uh, I've never known. Well, uh, as I mentioned, I was uh, a drummer back in Arizona and in yep. Hollywood. That's where I did a lot of this uh, nonsense back in the hard rock days. And during that time, and even leading up to when I became a drummer, I always had this fantasy and this desire and passion to not just be a singer up front but to be a Vegas guy a okay. Vegas entertainer that was really my passion even more so than being a singer I I was never driven by the love of, of singing as much as I was driven by the passion of wanting to come to Las Vegas and be somebody who had an effect on others like a particular man did with me back in the late 70s. <laughs> I know where you're headed. Ooh. I know where you're headed. <laughs> and so, I think I know this uh, <laughs> to lead up to, to answer your question first yeah. and foremost, um, I had some friends that were in an early 80s novelty band back in Arizona, and they had this big concert they were going to do, and their singer got sick. And they said, Chris, we know you've always wanted to be a singer. Here's your chance. Uh, can you learn a bunch of songs within the next couple days? And you're going to be in front of like 3,000 people. It was a big, big deal. And I thought, oh my Lord, this sounds very nerve wracking. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. But I'm scared to death because I'm, I'm now in my late 20s. I've never held a microphone, let alone sang. Well, you never sang before this no. moment? No. And you're I've kidding. always had this dream of wanting to. I, I was a singer back on the drums, but never up front. I'll put it that way. I've never been the lead singer. Or, in front of people like that, with that kind of a responsibility, so I thought, my God, this is this is this is something I want to do. But I think I'm going to hide behind a character because if I walk through as Chris Phillips, I'm going to crumble. This is ridiculous. Who wants to see Chris Phillips with this long hair trying to do '80s new wave music? I said, well, because of the theme of the music and because they even do some David Bowie music, I'm going to pretend to be David Bowie's son, Zoe Bowie, mm. and. If I completely fall on my face, who cares? I'm David Bowie's kid. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> and so 
Uh, hence the name uh, became my character that I came out with. And so I put my hair down my shirt and did myself up and I, I kind of transformed myself into this bigger than life persona. Because quite frankly at home, I'm a very introverted, quiet person. Uh, and I knew that wasn't gonna work on stage because my idols, uh, besides getting to who inspired me, were guys like David Lee Roth and Sammy Davis Jr. and these, these bigger than life yep. characters with gaudy jewelry and uh, outrageous uh, personalities. I thought, you know, I, those are the guys that really inspired me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to fit into that mode if possible. And so, uh, I thought, since Zoe Bowie, the real Zoe Bowie, wasn't using his name, he had, as a young child, changed his name to Duncan Jones, David's kid, who oh. incidentally became a rather uh, famous movie director. But he's never gone by Zoe Bowie. And I thought, man, that, that's kind of a cool name. I'm a fan of David Bowie, but I'm not like obsessed with him or anything, but I thought the name was kind of cool. Yeah. So I thought I would use that for the show, and by God, I got through the show and I thought, that's it, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I've now found my calling. So I went home immediately, cut all my hair off, sold my drums, and started my own band called Zoe Bowie. And it was, at the time, it was kind of an early 80s novelty type show, and uh, that fell by the wayside pretty quickly because then I transformed it into what Zoe Bowie is today, which you know, like I say, I started 25 years ago, wow. almost to the day, and I guess this is, I'm proud to say this, but it's a little disturbing to say we have not had a week off for 23 years straight now. That's amazing. No, I don't That's think I've not ever easy seen to do. You take a day off or always so, performing. You know, and so that means three to four days a week for 23 years, and and as uh, crazy as that may sound, I can't wait to get you know after a couple of days off I can't wait to get back on stage even to this day yeah because for the most part during uh, the last couple decades I've worked Thursday through Saturday you know so you have Sunday through Wednesday to kind of uh, reinvigorate yourself and, and by Thursday I, I'm, I'm anxious to get back up there plus you know and, and more realistically if we don't do a week of shows my band doesn't get paid right and I been responsible for supporting them and their families for years and years and so they want to play and if they want to play I'm there and I personally haven't missed a single show in 23 years and uh, I have a keyboard player his name is Dan Walker who can say the exact same thing I brought him on then and he hasn't been gone <laughs> during all that time either so you know we've kind of uh, well, become this odd you. Yeah. Stage. yeah, I don't think people realize that part of it. That there, it's not doesn't just fall on you. Like you know, obviously it's challenging enough to get the gigs right week in and week out, and to when you do get it to keep the gig because there's always someone that wants to replace you, and also just staying sure. staying healthy and and all sure. of those things that come with the day to day. But keeping the band together is equally as challenging because, like you said, if you, you, if you know they move well on, anybody, and uh, you know. When you, when you create a band, you're creating, in a sense, a family. Because you're not just with each other on stage, you spend a lot of time with each other off stage and in a dressing room or in some cases a tour bus or a recording studio or whatever type of situation you're in. And you really have to get along with them well. Right. And so if it clicks as a family backstage, typically it should click and work with the right kind of uh, energy and, and camaraderie on stage. And I've been very fortunate that the people I've had in my bands over the years, have, have, you know, they're friends first. And what they do on stage is, is almost a distant second. Because I think what happens, and what I've learned a long time ago, just from my own experience, is when people go to see an audience, they really, within minutes, can feel the energy of 
what other whatever you're giving to them what what kind of you know you can empathize and you can, you can feel are do they care are they really here for us or are they just doing their thing and out the door right and the whole reason I do what I do is to try to make people feel good that's all that matters to me uh, I'm, I'm in business not because about as I've always said it's it's not about how great you are on stage. It's about how great you make other people feel from the stage. And that's been the whole backbone of, of why I think that I've uh, been able to stay in business and keep shows and because, you know, it's about the people who come to see me, not me. Right. And so I, as long as my band understands that, uh, it works great. And I've been very, like I say, I've been working with some great musicians over the years. I've uh, had female counterparts over the years that uh, uh, I've had two in particular, but um, I've had two gals with me now for the last couple of years. Uh, one is Nieve Melandra, and she's been with me for seven or eight years, and she's yep. amazing. She's and, great. And then uh, this, this other incredible talent that I've uh, had with me for about two or three years now, her name is Jamie Lynch, Phenomenal. who's been in various other big shows here in, in town. But I'm sad to say that this Saturday. No, no. Is, no, no. Is her no. last night with us what? temporarily. Okay. okay. Because she's going to have baby time. her first little yes. baby girl herself. And okay. So we're so excited and proud so of her. So excited for her. Congrats. And so, uh, be a beautiful uh, mama. you know, with, with that said, you know, I've had the task of having to figure out who to bring in now as a replacement. And I couldn't be more proud and excited to, to announce that we are going to be joined on stage by one of the probably premier singers and entertainers here in this town that's very well loved and liked named Ann Martinez. Oh yeah. And if you know who that she's is, she's got pipes uh, I, on know, her. She, <laughs> like, she's amazing. You know, I always try to bring people up on stage that are better than I am, but then that, that's not difficult. <laughs> I mean, you, you, no, well, you want to be the weakest link in the chain, and I always have been, believe me, <laughs> when it comes to talent. But I think, uh, you know, just very blunt. I think my talent lies in my love for people. Yeah. I honestly love to walk out on stage because, unlike most artists or singers especially that have records or singles or, or uh, some form of career that people go to see specifically. Most of the time when I walk out on stage, I'm talking about 1,000, 2,000 people who have no idea who I am. Right. And so you have to sell them on whatever it is you're selling Yeah. within minutes. And for me, again, it, it, I'm not trying to sell them on my talent. I'm selling them on, hey, we have a big, great group of people here from all over the world. Let's be like a bunch of friends in a high school backyard party or right. a family. And if I can make them feel like that within five minutes, I've got them for three hours. Yeah. Is and, that how long your set is, three uh, hours? Depending on the shows that I do, Fremont Street Experience is three hours. Uh, most things are usually an hour and a half or two hours, but regardless if it's, uh, you know, like I say, a half hour or, or three or four hours, it's, it's tough to hold on to an audience without some kind of big production show. For sure. And with me, it's just a microphone, a cocktail, and a band. That's it. Right. And hopefully, whatever, whoever I am is, is something that they are able to relate to, which yep. is the key, is relating. And so, you know, I'm looking out there in an audience, particularly on Fremont, you're talking about the most diverse demographic you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's people from all over the world, all ages, all everything you can imagine. And I'll be damned, within five minutes, we aren't all the same. We're, some people would disagree with me vehemently that we're different, we aren't. Because when you look in their eyes and they give themselves up to you to some degree, you can look kind of deep into who they really are 
And man, I'll tell you, at the, at the end of the day, we're really similar. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody's really similar. So if you can tap into who you were as an insecure high schooler, yep. kind of, which is what I still am, man, I think they can appreciate, I think they appreciate me appreciating them. Right. And then they appreciate me back. Yeah. And then whatever it is I'm doing is secondary, incidental. And if I'm able to perform some kind of music that they like or they're, they're enjoying or they, they seem to uh, have fun watching, all the better. Because I do two or three different types of shows that it's the exact same principle. Right. If I'm doing hardcore hip-hop rap or if I'm doing some old Bobby Darin or, or a Frank Sinatra song from 60 years ago, yeah. you know what I mean? People are the same, and if you can make them feel good, that's the greatest feeling in the world. And I know your dad knows exactly what I'm talking about because if I may tell this little story, go ahead. I would Do not it. be sitting here. It's so crazy. I wouldn't be a Vegas entertainer. I may not even be a s in entertainment if it weren't for a particular uh, evening that thank God I got to experience back, I believe it was, I can't pinpoint the year, it was in the late 70s. I came to Las Vegas for the first time uh, by invitation of my uncle who lived here and he was kind of a prominent attorney and so we pulled up and to the first hotel I ever went to was the Hilton, uh -huh. which was the international now, the Westgate. And he had a Rolls Royce and he was kind of a flashy guy and you know, I was just a simple dork from Tempe, Arizona, who'd never been anywhere, done anything. How old are you at this point? Uh, I would have been about approximately 11, 12 years okay. old. And he said, <laughs> we're going to go to a show in Vegas. And, and, and I thought that would, that would be the greatest thing ever because I was always intrigued by entertainers. And I was one of those dorky kids that, you know, was into musicals even and shit like that. that yeah. I don't know if I really want to admit that, but, uh, you know, I had my Farrah Fawcett poster, of course, but then I... You had that poster? Oh, okay. Everyone had that poster. <laughs> Who didn't? Did you have yep. it? Well, of course I of had course. that poster. Ty, yeah. did you have it? No. No. But right next to it, I had my uh, original Broadway cast of Annie. You know, that, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> you had to balance it out a little, yeah. you know? Yeah, so I don't know what kind of uh, <laughs> life was in the cards for me. But nonetheless, <laughs> I uh, had this experience walking into the Hilton Hotel for the first time, and I was just so overwhelmed by the sophistication of the class and the glamour and the lights and the sounds and the brass and the marble and oh god this is like my kind of place right and the hilton was the spot back the then hilton like you had caesars you had hilton shit. you had the riviera you know for many years as you know it was the largest hotel in the world right and for me it was the most glamorous elvis performed ever. at the hilton well, i know it's got a lot of and, and I'll, I'll talk about him first before yeah, i get onto the show the reason this was such a big deal to me walking into this place is because the only music I really ever listened to when I was really young in the early 70s was my mother's Elvis records, particularly the ones that were recorded live at the Hilton in Las Vegas. And wow. I thought, oh boy, if I could somehow live the life that this guy must have had where he was doing his shows and then who knows where he was going afterwards. And to me, I never cared about writing a song or going on tour or going to Hollywood. I wanted to go to Vegas. Because when I was a kid, we didn't go to Disneyland to see Mickey Mouse. We went to Vegas to see Don Rickles, uh, yep. Paul Anka, and Frank, and these guys that were so incredibly influential to me. But the very first experience I had in a Vegas showroom was this night going to the Hilton 
and we went into this big gorgeous showroom where I knew Elvis performed and I was just shaking with excitement and there was this wonderful distinguished uh, maitre d' named Angel. Oh my god. Do you know who, Angel? Yeah, of course. Who, who's, who came up to my uncle and said, hello Mr. Phillips, uh, we have your table waiting. And I just thought this was the shit. <laughs> so excited. So we went down and had the VIP back, you know, when there were showrooms, even that place, you know, beautiful round booths. Yeah, yeah, In my yeah. opinion, it should be forever. You ate dinner yeah, then so during a oh, show sure, too, sure. right? You had the yeah. dinner show and then you had the late show. And Not to get off the subject, but back then, you know, you had big time headlining shows that were one, two, three in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Which you can't even fathom these days. It was so cool. Right. You had your dinner show early in the evening and then they did, you know. Yep. Wayne, good God, you know, he would yep. four, five, six shows a night. It was like, what? We sat down. I didn't know what to expect. I was a fan of this guy because I, I certainly had a television. And uh, it was I love very, the buildup right now. It's so good. I had a big, uh, you know, I, I had so much excitement inside me to see this guy that I loved on TV. The curtain opened and there was this like 32-piece orchestra with this wall of sound that just hit you over the head and you're like oh, this feels and it's so amazing and then this guy walks out and he's gleaming with charisma and personality and he's got this beautiful tan and these beautiful white teeth and this crazy hair and I thought hmm I think I like where this is going <laughs> <laughs> and halfway through the show he stops and he comes out into the audience and he's walking around and he's, he's, you know, acknowledging people. But he came straight to our table and he leaned down and he looked at me and he sh took his hand out and he goes, welcome to my show, young man. I hope you're having a great time in Las Vegas. You know, and kind of, you know, and then went on and did his thing. Tony Orlando, your dad, <laughs> made an impression on me That's that amazing. stuck so hardcore. Aww. Not just because of his singing and his, and his performing, but it was about the feeling mm -hmm. and the energy he gave me that night to think, if this guy can make me feel this great, wouldn't that be an amazing thing at some point in my life to do that for others? So I always had in the back of my head, not only do I want to be an entertainer that makes people feel good, I want to do it in Vegas. I want to be that Vegas guy. Because now i got Elvis, now your dad, Tony Orlando, I thought this is this is truly uh, the you know some people say Disneyland is the happiest place on earth it's Vegas and so years went by and then of course I was influenced by like the first rock concert everyone which was Van Halen seeing David Lee Roth and these other crazy guys yeah I thought oh hell yeah but it was always that one night in Vegas seeing Tony Orlando that stuck in my head that even though I was a drummer and I should have gone to college, like all my family's attorneys and educators, and then they have their black sheep son that wants to go to Vegas and be a showgirl. We're almost there with all the yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can see my influence of Sammy Davis Jr. and Elvis has never left the building. Um, and so when I had that opportunity to finally sing and to do what your dad did for me by really touching people, physically touching people and making them feel good, I could tell that uh, this is something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so for many years I put together shows and did this and that. 
And it wasn't until, like I say, I became Zoe Bowie that I said, okay, my goal is now to come to Las Vegas and to live out my dream that I don't know how I'm going to make it work. I'm, you know, I, I don't have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm going to put a show together in, in Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona with the intent of coming here. Well, lo and behold, after a rel relatively short period of time, uh, it became a rather successful, almost phenomenon in North Scottsdale where uh, live bands weren't necessarily doing this, but we were bringing in 4,000 people in a week into this luxurious wow. mega club in North Scottsdale. Wow. Because we, I, I thought to myself at the time, cover, cover bands just weren't cool and or necessarily, there's always original rock They were bands. almost frowned upon. Almost frowned upon. Right. But then came this band, and I have to tip my hat to them because it weren't for them. It, I'm not even sure if I'd be here, but remember the Boogie Nights? Yeah. I used to, they, they sure. essentially started doing that gimmick in Arizona, in Tempe in particular. Yep. This club that I would go to every Sunday, and I would sit there and watch them and analyze and think, God, you know what? Maybe I don't have to write music and, and tour and put out records. I can just be a cover band and live like a rock star because these guys were in limos and chicks and money. And thought, right. Damn, that's the way to go for a guy like me. So if I can do something along those lines, maybe I can venture into Vegas. So I put together, before anybody was doing this, this new concept of a show where... Uh, a gal and I that looked like we were just, you know, these beach bums from, from Southern California doing hip-hop, rap. Nobody was doing that, particularly people who kind of looked like us and sure. lived in that environment. And, and we thought, you know, instead of doing the disco thing or the 80s thing or like every other band, we're going to go the top 40 hip-hop route. Along with that, I was really analyzing over the years what made people dance and what made people leave the dance floor. And as great as a band may be, they would play a song, then they would stop and they would talk and everybody would leave the dance floor. But if I was going to work in the nightclubs, I better keep people on the dance floor. Yeah. So I came up uh, at a time that nobody was really doing this, is to create a show that was very similar to a DJ. And with DJs, obviously, they play little pieces of songs, then they blend it into the next one, then the next one, the next one, and they never let you leave the dance floor. Well, that was the kind of concept I took into my show, and so I started taking 9, 10, 12, 13 songs, and instead of playing the entire four or five minute song, yeah. I would chop them up in my own little arrangements, and I'd get rid of bridges and slow parts and crap yeah. that nobody wants to listen to, and I would rearrange the song so it's nothing but a chorus and a verse and two choruses and just the meat and potatoes of the song that everybody was familiar with, and then hit, and if you didn't like it, who cares? Two minutes later, you're into the next song. And so we would do these 40-minute medleys of songs that were like a DJ, and hence it's genius. the, the dance it. floor never stopped dancing. And so it was kind of a formula between us, you know, this guy and girl doing this music that you wouldn't expect to be coming out of their mouth. I was, had the right. backwards hat and the chains and the tank top. And it was kind of ridiculous back then, but it worked. Right. And so lo and behold, one night we were having, you know, a big show, and there's thousands thousand people there. And, uh, the Fertitas, who obviously own everything, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're more powerful than God, for God's sake. Uh, they caught wind of that, and they had some people, or they or themselves, I'm not really even sure how it worked back then, it was so long ago, but about 15 years ago, they caught wind of what we were doing, and they said, you know, this might be a really lovely fit for this new property we're building in Las Vegas that's going to be our flagship called Red Rock. 
and it's our luxury property. And they, they you know, kind of did their homework on us and they saw that we went from nothing to endorsing Mercedes-Benz within a year in Scottsdale, Arizona with this big following and, and you know, it's kind of a luxury band brand, yep. so to speak, as silly as that sounds. So they thought it was a good fit for Red Rock. So we got talking and I thought, oh my God, here's, here's my chance to come to Vegas because I want to do it and I want to do it right. I don't, I don't want to come in and, and starve and have to fight. I want to I want to do it right because you know we had this nice situation out in Scottsdale. I didn't want to leave. We were doing rather well, and so they they brought me out here and they took me on a tour of the property in, in this place called Summerlin, which was kind of like North Scottsdale where we were playing compared to in in, in Scottsdale. Uh, we played at this place called Barcelona. It was almost exactly the same distance and the same kind of neighborhood there as Red Rock is compared to the Strip okay. out in Summerlin. It was a very similar set of circumstances. So I thought, this is perfect for us. We can appeal to the locals. I don't have to depend on the ebb and flow of tourists. Yep. Or if there's a busy week or a dead week, or most importantly, having to sell a ticket. Right. Right. You we're just show up and do your we're thing. We're going to depend on locals, which hopefully would stay rather steady, and I might be able to have some sustainability or, or some shelf life if I don't have to worry about conventions and other things. So we set up shop and within a couple months it turned into a big thing and you couldn't get into the room and things were going great and everything's awesome. And, uh, we thought to ourselves, are we coming here? Are we gonna last 14 days? And I'm so blessed to say we're now in our 14th year now on that same stage and same hotel. And I owe the Fertitas my entire career, livelihood and, and everything. And if it weren't for them, I'm not sure if it would have happened. That's Certainly incredible. not like that. What a story. And yeah. since then, you know, we branched out and uh, played various other properties. But the reason I came here, I had an agenda and a mission, and it wasn't to necessarily do what I'm still doing. It was to bring back the old classic vintage Vegas big band that was so inspirational to me with my idols and to have the kind of orchestra your dad had and do that kind of music. And I thought, man, if I can do that somehow, my life is going to be complete. So when I negotiated the deal with them, and with, with other properties since, I say, yeah, I'll do, your, I'll do the dance thing. I'll, 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 I'll uh, create revenue, bar sales with my you know, hip hop nightclub concert. If you please allow me on my own dime, produce what I really am here for, my passion, which is this 15 piece orchestra, big band, Tux Gown, Frank Sinatra, Tom Jones, yeah. Tony Orlando did several of his songs. Yeah. Steve and Edie, who were idols of mine. Oh, sure. Uh, Bobby Darren and Elvis. If I could do a show like that, then I was going to be really proud of where I'm at. And so I did and have been able to do that since. And, you know, we, we've been uh, in major showrooms and had the billboards and the things and all this stuff that you dream of as a kid. And it's like, it's just been a fantasy over the years come true. And, Somehow, at my age, I don't know how in the hell I'm doing it, but we're we're still keeping it going. And I can we, tell you how because you're great at it. That's right. how. Well, you see, you're hundred percent. When, when I first saw you, I felt like it was at Green Valley, but maybe it, I'm no, wrong. No, it was okay because we I saw that concept. I saw the big yeah. band. That was the first time, and I, I don't remember. Think I've seen the big band. Oh, it's yeah. incredible. I mean, all of it's incredible, but like the big. The, what I love about what you've been able to do is you look. It, somehow you found, a, you did the impossible. The impossible to me is 
you actually are all of those people you just named. You are a little bit David Bowie. You are a little bit, you know, <laughs> Mick Jagger. You are a little bit Tony O. You are a little bit Bobby Darren. You're actually all of those people blended into one. Your look is rock star, <laughs> over the top. You know what I mean? It's it's you somehow found a way to deliver that where it when you watch the show it's not cheesy it doesn't it delivers it's cheesy when you mean to be sometimes you know what i mean like in humor um you don't take yourself too seriously you know like when you when you come in it's it's such a shock you like shock the audience oh, at least wow. that's okay. what happened to me you know because when i first thought and the name is genius because the name sounds like <laughs> something you're supposed to go see Right. There's some of those names well, that just click, you know? And to me, nice like to Zoe Bowie things. sounds like, oh, I'm supposed to go see that, like when you're in Vegas. It just, it, it, that name does that to you. And wow. when I first went and yeah, to Green Deli, better than therapy. Yeah, right? Jeez. I actually went to your show specifically <laughs> to see your show because word of mouth, everyone was like, you gotta go oh, see yeah. Zoe, 100%. We're definitely a Think about mouth. it. When I saw you, it was well, like, you, were at, you yeah. were at Green Valley Ranch. And like, I lived in LA, so I would come to Vegas. Like, when you come to Vegas, the last, there was no Uber when I first saw you. You know, it's the same drive, but whatever, Uber sounds better. But, you know, to get in a taxi, to go from the strip the to, to Green Rock. Valley, Green which Valley. is like 50 bucks or 60 bucks, wow. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's an expensive ride. It feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. Like, now, that I right, live here, right, like right, it's right. not in the middle of nowhere, but back then, like, sure, no, wait, course, where I are guess. we going? Like, I felt like we were on this freeway forever. I'm like, what are we doing? This is so stupid. Yeah, my friends are giving me a bunch of shit. They're like, what are we doing? I'm like, it's gonna, gonna going be good. It's gonna be good. Yeah, you know? And then when Boy, we, did you get screwed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, then when we got there and, and you did that show and you had that, you had a huge orchestra behind it. How many, I don't remember how many pieces it was, like 15 pieces or yeah, something? Yeah. Or, yeah, whatever it was. Horn. You had horns, you had strings. Yeah, vocals. it was incredible. Um, it was great. And I remember telling my dad, you gotta go see. And I thought I was telling my dad, like, breaking news. And my dad already knew. My dad was like, what? Uh, I swear to you. My dad was like, oh, yeah, Zoe Bowie. Yeah, yeah they're great. <laughs> Who knew? Well, you know, I think probably one of the single greatest moments of being in Las Vegas was the night that I went to go see your father. And I don't know who I was with or how I ended up back in the dressing room. But I had the absolute childhood fantasy of telling this person who was so incredibly influential to me the story I just told you. I got to sit there and tell him that. And he looked at me and he goes, Chris, you know, that's really amazing because the, almost the identical thing happened to me. Back in 1962, I went, I think he said, if I recall, uh -huh. I went to go see this performer and a similar thing happened. And he goes, that changed my life. His name was Bobby Darren. Yep. And I thought, oh my God, this is, yep. my little biggest fantasies are all coming to life here in front of me. And uh, you know, I think the reason, and I, I don't need to tell you or anybody who, who is a fan of your father, but your father is the absolute epitome of what I'm talking about, of somebody who knows that there's not a wall between the stage and the audience. Mm -hmm. And that they are there to feel good. And it is your job as the entertainer to do everything you can to make them forget whatever issues they may have had through the week and to, to, to literally almost transform themselves into uh, this, 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 this essence in which he was sharing and to, 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 to let yourself go, to, 
uh, release yourself into their realm that they're creating and your dad just has this way and you know granted he has some of the greatest American pop culture songs of all time but it's him it's his presence it's his personality he could go up there and not sing one of his songs and still sell it the exact same way it he could go up there and just talk and people just love the mm -hmm. feeling he gives people because he's so genuine so loving and so filled with life and I was so taken by that and you know there's obviously other entertainers who embody that spirit but your dad in particular is probably one of the, the best I've ever seen and thank God I went to the Hilton that one night and saw that because to this day 40 over 40 years later it's as if I was there yesterday I can't remember I can't remember yesterday but I remember that night very well. That's such a great story. I, I love, love when you, that. I love it. I remember when I first met you, we talked about this before we started, you quizzed me. You were like, do you remember the first <laughs> night I met you? And at first I thought it was backstage, but, but right. then I stopped myself and I remember I, I actually walked up to you uh, at Cosmo at the Chandelier Bar and introduced myself to you and you told me this story. You know what was really beautiful about that night is we had a couple drinks and we ended up dating for a couple weeks. <laughs> That wasn't even my kind of thing, but it was so charming. That smile, oh lord, those teeth, Jason. My Hollywood smile. Look at it, look at it. Shameless plug, Hollywood smile coming at you. Look at this. Yeah. At least last in two weeks, that's longer than any Vegas relationship. Especially when you meet at a bar, the chandelier bar. Right? Right? You realize, God, Zoe, he's easy. He's easy. No, it's been a great adventure here, and I hope I never have to grow up and go home, and, you know, we, uh, I, I, we're so honored to say that we, uh, because of the locals, if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have this under our belt. But you know, we're proud to say we've won Best of Las Vegas six times. That's great. And we just nominated for the seventh time, which gets announced in October. So if we were to win again, that would I, be a miracle. And I almost feel guilty to some degree. But you earned it. You but deserve if we, it. But if we, if we do, it isn't about us. It's, it's about the, the people who come to see us and they're the ones voted, they're the ones, and it's, it's them, it's their award. Because to say, and you know this, to say that there's a best anything in this town is absurd. Yeah. It's ridiculous. That's a, it's a almost there's so many. moronic so thing to say. Because to every show is so great. There's so many talented, wonderful singers, dancers, artists, comedians, magicians, and they're all here to try to make people feel good and to do their thing and to somehow squeak out a living following their passion. Yeah. You know, not to be corny, but regardless what your passion is, if you don't pursue that and follow it, it's going to be a lot longer life, yeah. more miserable and more depressing, having to do something you don't want to do. Even if you become financially successful, who wants to do something the rest of their life they don't want to do or are passionate about compared to is if there's something you really feel strongly about and want to do, You'll figure out how to make a business out of it and make money at some point. And if you do, great. If not, at least you're happy doing what you love. And that right. certainly That's is in my... Because, you know, I'll never be particularly famous or rich or, you know, like that. But I'm, I'm rich with happiness. And we've got, you know, I've done okay. But I've never had a, a, a day where I just wish, God, I wish I would have gone to school. <laughs> right, yeah, that's no good. Who wants that? You know, I'm the opposite. I'm like, wish I, I wish I never did. Yeah, you know, I, I started, I tried. Uh, when I graduated uh, high school, I went to 
Arizona State University from 1984 to 1984. That's how that <laughs> I knew pretty quick Long that career. that was just one semester. Yeah. One semester. Uh, well, I didn't even make Not one even. semester. Really? Two yeah. weeks. Yeah. It was about three or four weeks into, and I thought, you know, who am I kidding? This is this yeah. Is not what uh, I always say. I was enrolled, but I never went. Like, I I, <laughs> right. I hated school. You had a student ID. It, yeah, it Discounts wasn't for, for me. Yeah. I just felt myself fantasizing and dreaming about what I wanted to do throughout the whole class or when I was trying to study. I couldn't read a, couldn't get through. I'm not going to admit that. That's too embarrassing. <laughs> but because of who it is, I think you'll find this funny. I've somehow got through life without ever reading a book. Ever. N not one book. Except for one. Oh. And I'm not talking about red fern grows and shit when you're in fourth grade. Right, right, right. That doesn't count. See Sam Run doesn't yeah, count as reading a book. I'm talking about after graduate, sitting down with a novel. Okay. I've never read a book except for one. And it's called Why Me by Sammy Davis Jr. Really? <laughs> That's the only book I've ever read. Why that oh, one? I can't beat that one. So, no, never. I just want to experience shit. Did you ever meet Sammy? No, no. I saw him perform live, of course, and you know, talk about Mister Entertainment. In, I mean, he exuded it through his fingernails. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. Who are who are three? So let's say he's he's one. Who are two other? entertainers that you wish you could have met that you never got to meet? Well, this sounds odd, but you know, of course, you know, this sounds so cliche and stereotypic, but you know, there's the Frank Sinatra's, Elvis's, uh, you know, David Lee Roth for me personally. Um, but there's one guy that influenced me too that I wish I could have met, it's Johnny Carson. Oh. oh, that's a good one. And the reason I say Johnny Carson is you know, later in life I learned he, he was a different kind of person yeah. off stage than a lot of people knew about. And taking that aside, just watching how he handled himself with people and, and how he seemed like he was just a normal down-home guy who was the king of Hollywood to some degree during his time. I just thought that was so intriguing. Yeah. And the way he was able to bring the best out of his guests. Yeah. And, and I, I could watch and analyze how he was a master at what he could do with just pure conversation. Yeah. Just like, you know, that's, 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 you can apply that to a lot of things. And so I was really influenced by him as well. He was great. Yeah, I was, you know, there's, uh, you know, but then there's, you know, when I was, certain stories, like when I was in, uh, in the early 80s, I was into Motley Crue and these rock bands. I thought, oh, hell yeah, I want chicks and crazy life and motorcycles and all that shit. And so I, my, Truth be told, in 1984, my room was covered in nothing but Motley Crue pictures. Vince Neil, Nikki Six, Tommy Lee. Oh my God. So I always dreamed of being those guys for a minute. And then later in life, lo and behold, I become friends with Vince Neil, living here, and, <laughs> and then called him a friend. And he's been on stage with me on several occasions. And it's so funny because, you know, you have this impression of Vince Neil. Yeah. If you can imagine him with a 15-piece vintage Vegas big band in a suit singing Fly Me to the Moon. He did that? Really? Oh, several times. What? That to me was Yeah, that's like, cool. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, You've arrived. I, that's I, your I, arrived I, moment. Yes. You know, and he's just, he's such a, a su sweet guy. Yeah. You know, to be honest, and you know, I, I'm so happy for him that he's found success and, and some happiness. He's met a wonderful girl, and now they live in this fucking castle in Nashville, and I'm so proud of him, and he's still killing it on the road. Yeah. Killing it. Yeah. He's selling out freaking huge venues, and he's doing what he loves. He doesn't, quite frankly, I doubt he needs the money. 
he needs the energy. Right. He needs the love, and I get right. it. Right. And I don't see that's the kind of guy like a Mick Jagger and a, a Aerosmith guys. Yeah, you know, you're talking about guys in their 70s who are on top of their game because of what I'm talking about. Yeah, they love people. Yeah, you gotta love people. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Stage, when I remember, you don't like people, you don't belong there. Yeah, I mean, because it's gonna show and you're gonna fail. I remember being, you know, junior high, high school, and I would spend a lot of time with my dad on the road, um, even when I was younger. And, but sometimes I'd do like four or five days, you know, when you're in school, like literally like take off a couple days of school, you know, have like a five day weekend, whatever. And when eight o'clock would hit, when I'd get home after, when showtime would hit, I would actually get depressed. Like that, that, that energy, because that energy that you're so used to is leaves you on such a high oh, every does, night, two shows a night or whatever, that I, I found myself like missing. I wasn't even performing. I was just no, I watching it. my dad, but that energy of bass, guitar, 100%. drums, well, and not yeah. a crowd. Not to turn this out, but that's why so many entertainers get into booze and drugs. I get it because it gives you that false right. feeling of that that you miss that rush uh adrenaline yeah because adrenaline is a very real drug yeah or, or, or a chemical that's in your body that once you have it you crave it yeah addicting for sure. how you have know? you oh, yeah. been able to stay away from that stuff uh i got married to my wife <laughs> <laughs> Strong Italian woman. She keeps you in shape. Strong. No, and, and all, in all, all candor, I have nothing to hide at all. I've never, I've never been in drugs. I'm the kind of guy that I, I refuse to take an Advil. Really? I admit, this is embarrassing. Admit this is going to kill my reputation. You're going to kill your street cred right now. I, I'm a healthy Never. I, Are I, you? I, like organic, I, all eating and sleeping, which I don't do, is everything. Yeah. I think even more important than working out and everything. Yeah. What you put in your body. It's who you become because, you know, it, it, you eat like shit, you're going to feel like shit. Yep. And I have to feel good. I have to be happy all the time. Sure. I can never be depressed. I can never be sick. Nothing. So I have to really take care of my body. But I've smoked pot every night for 35 years. Which now, which used to be frowned upon, but now. And, now it's and it shows I drink. Because what that does is it, for an introverted uh quiet guy like me, yeah. it brings out a different side of your personality. Mm-hmm. Your, your inhibitions just go, bye-bye. Isn't it crazy when someone, a little, a little bit when someone that looks like this and does what he does tells you he's introverted? Isn't that, this is like it's so true. strange. Oh yes, totally. but you actually, all performers are. I feel like a lot of performers are. We go on stage and we have this different persona and we go out there and mm-hmm. we do our thing and then we go at home and we're like, Anti-social, we're just like to ourselves because we give it all on stage. It's but true, and, and so when you come home, a lot of people and, you're, are. and as you're on, you're on that high, and you're. Just, mm-hmm. <gasps> for me, you know, some people may do drugs, maybe some people may do this or that, and I don't drink heavily, but smoking a little weed at the end of the night to me is every bit as important to my body chemistry as eating asparagus and blueberries and sleeping, uh, because in a sense it. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just telling what works for me. Right. It, it flushes out any stress and things that you can leave bottled up that are going to ultimately release negative chemicals that are going to affect your organs yeah. and make you sick and mm-hmm. create disease. If you can somehow train your mind to stay as positive, I don't want to get on like a motivational seminar here, but my show, in my opinion, is like a motivational seminar with music. Yeah. 
But if you can somehow train yourself to genuinely be as positive and happy as you can, I think that's the, 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 the way to stay as healthy uh, as you possibly can. And for me, I, I have to be healthy for the sake of feeding my family. I have to stay happy right. and positive for the sake of feeding my family now because my priorities are now, it's not about me anymore at sure. all. It's about my family. And so I will go to extreme lengths to shed negativity out of my life. That's great. That's good. Well, you know, it's harder. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. But because it, it's all around you all the time, mm -hmm. yeah. especially in our business or in this town, it's, it's really hard to shield yourself. And so what I've had to try to train myself to do is not block it, but to accept it and realize I love everybody with whatever flaws they have. Even people in my shows or friends, you factor in who everybody is, you accept them, and you just go from there. And don't let whoever it is that upsets you about them bother you. Yeah. Right. You just factor it in because it's who they are. It's not your issue, it's their issue. Right. Good or bad. I'm sure I have issues that they don't like, but they can either repel, hate, or accept. Right. Just go with it. And so, you know, like I say, even with people in my bands over the years, they're not all the same people. And if I had a, a rigid rule book and a manual for exactly how you have to be and what you have to act like, we wouldn't get along ever on any level, mm -hmm. as you know. Yeah. No, you, you, you allow people to be who they are. Yeah. And just go with it and accept yep. it. 100%. And they're going to do things that may not, you know, be something you would like them to do, but it's who they are. So who cares? Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? You know, really, you just go with it. Is it all with good intent and heading towards the right direction? Great. So let people be who they are. And don't let people frustrate you with things they say or do. Or You know, you see Facebook and, and social media these days and you're just like, how is all this negativity and anger going on out there? Yeah. It's exhausting. It's just ridiculous because we're all the same people in this together. And, you know, I, I try my damnedest to go out there, you know, every weekend in front of a few people and do the best I can to, to, to make them feel as good as they can for a couple hours and then send them on their way. And hopefully they take something with them that benefits them, you know, when they might be upset. They might go, yeah, who cares? Who cares? Who fucking cares. Yeah. What you're doing's working, man. I know. I'm, well, I'm very fortunate to get to do what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed that somehow I'm, I'm still able to do that. And I, I hope to God I can do it for a few more years. Uh, like I say, uh, what I thought was going to be something that I may have done until my age is now just the beginning. I have to do this for another 20 years somehow. Let's go. And I have no we'll choice. We'll be here supporting well, you. Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> no thank choice. you for sharing all this with us. You guys yeah. are Thank you for the kind I'm, words about my dad. And everyone can see you at downtown uh, Fremont. Thursday and Saturday. Uh, Thursday 10, Saturday 11. Uh, Fremont Street Experience next to the D Hotel. And then uh, Friday nights at uh, Red Rock, 11 o'clock. We'll see how long we can and keep no, this train rolling down the track without it no, derailing. No keep cover, it rolling. Right? No cover, right? Uh, no. Cover is a small cover, but I, it's, it's like well worth it. But, yeah, but, uh, it's worth every dollar. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys. Zoe Bowie.